Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I am a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode. I am beyond excited to welcome Jeanette LeBlanc onto this podcast and to share a little bit to you about Jeanette. Um, Jeanette has spent most of her life working very hard to be a good girl. One day she woke up and decided to write her way out of her own life. Things haven't been the same since. Single mama to two ridiculously unruly daughters, Jeanette believes in the smooth honey burn of whiskey the crashing of mama ocean, pencil skirts, vintage band tees and fringed boots, the kinship of the wild wolf, walking for miles in unfamiliar cities, that the burn down always precedes the rise, the singular power of dark red lipstick and the necessity of putting out for the muse on the regular. Oh yeah, and that sometimes our stories are the only things that can save us. Jeanette is the author of You Are Not Too Much, Love Notes on Heartache, Redemption, and Reclamation, available at all major online retailers. Jeanette, thank you for joining me today. I am so happy to be here and also happy that I like lived into my bio by wearing a bansy and red lipstick without even realizing. Well, that is, you are true to who you are, right? And your bio encompasses all the things, many things of who you are. Now, before I get started today in our conversation, I wanted to first ground it in land acknowledgement and acknowledge that I'm personally speaking from the unceded and traditional territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts people. And I start every episode with land acknowledgement because these conversations that I have with guests are so aspirational. At the same time, we are working within the systems of social injustices and inequities, and we are in both worlds all the time. And to recognize that we have a choice in doing the things that we wanna do, but also making the changes that we wanna make and we need to make. So Jeanette, I have a lot of things to say about you. I would say that first and foremost, this podcast, who I am today literally would not exist if I had not come across your post in a random Facebook group six-ish years ago. And that long? (laughs) A really long time. Um, This season, season one is People I Know. And I really couldn't imagine starting this podcast without having you on here. Um, I met you through a course you had writing back to your wild heart, something like that. Yeah, wild heart writing. Wild heart writing. And um, and it was, it was evolutionary, revolutionary uh, opening for me. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about your, what brought you to the work that you do. And if you can describe a little bit about what it is that you support people in doing. Uh, my route to this work was rather circuitous. Um, I have a science degree. I was a birth doula. I was a photographer. 
Um, I had no intentions at any point of becoming a writer with a capital W. Um, and I just started at the beginning. And I think that this was one of our original ties because my creative journey began around motherhood. So I started writing a pregnancy journal, which back in the days, we're talking 2001, because I have a 20 year old now, which is wild. And um, there, there weren't blogs. It was just this little GeoCities website for any listeners of a certain age who remember <laughs> GeoCities websites. And that turned into writing on a parenting site, which became a blog, and it just kind of kept continuing. And then at some point, both my life hinged on a major point and my children got older enough that I started to realize that they were going to one day have a digital footprint and I didn't have exclusive rights to tell their story. And so the story switched to telling mine um, and my journey. And then along the way, it just became what I did in the world and how I showed up less of a sideline thing and more of the main thing, but completely accidental. Just really, which is so great because of what you're talking about, about following and finding your inspiration. I mean, it just followed what made me alive. And now what I do, um, my work in the world, I think most people know me as a writing coach, writing teacher, and a writer, but I really consider the words to be a vehicle to sovereignty and autonomy and power. So the words, the, the words are super important. I mean, words are my first language, my love language, they're everything. And also they're the least of it because they're just the tool that we have to describe our heart to the world. And so I help people find their way into that autonomy and sovereignty through their words, through their living, through their aliveness, through their inspiration, whatever the path may be. Do you remember like when you were able to call yourself a writer with a capital W? I don't think I remember the when as much as the, the realization of how much audacity it would take. Um, I do remember the when of realizing that I was here to make things. Um, and I don't know exactly when the writer bit tied in, but after my divorce, I was going to do this sensible thing and go back to school. And I want you to suspend your disbelief here because you know me and become a computer programmer. So I was in night school and I was taking a computer programming class and with all these geeky boys, <laughs> And the instructor was droning on and on. And all of a sudden I kind of hit this existential space and I started writing and writing. And I was writing really the voices in my head, all of the voices in my head that were kind of screaming at me. And there was this Mary Poppins, British accented nanny saying like, Spitzpot, get up, you know, it's not the worst thing ever. And there was a tantruming toddler going, but I don't want to do this. <laughs> and there was a punked out teenager saying like, fuck it, we're going to go off the rails. Like, we're just going to, we're just going to run away. Um, all of these voices that I was chronicling that I was hearing in my head about this choice to be in school and do the sensible thing. And I realized the only one that was really like speaking in first person was the artist who was saying, I just want to make pretty things. That's all I want to do is make pretty things. <laughs> and I quit school like the next day. <laughs> Because I realized that that voice was just, the other voices were the voices of culture and family and pressure and money and all of that stuff. And then the voice that was mine that came from here was, was the, the soft, small, quiet voice saying, I just want to make pretty things. And so that's what I started doing. 
Beautiful. Were you already a birth doula at that point and a photographer? Yeah, the the birth doula birth professional world was during my marriage um, and photography started toward the end of my marriage. um, And then I didn't move full on into artistic life until, until after that. So that was, I am 46 now. So I got divorced at 32. So this is the span of time we're talking about. Artistic life. Can you share what that means to you? I think, I mean, there's the practical logistical side, right? I'm a working single mother artist, which comes with its own whole (laughs) swirl of um, challenges. I think though, to be an artist, to claim the title of artist, whether you ever make money for it or not, it's just, it's just a matter of following what's most alive. And I think that we, so like I said, capital W writer, we capital A art that hangs on a wall or that's some tangible thing that something can buy or you can exchange a value over. And I don't really think of art as that, that way. I think our art is our aliveness. So your art could be found in mothering. It could be found in the way you decorate your home. It could be found in the connections and presence you bring to the people in your life. Like I, I don't think of art as just this tangible exchange of goods and services. Um, I think it's much bigger than that. And so to me, living life as a creative is everything. I do think that in this culture, there is this pressure and expectation to like make money from mm-hmm. your art. Absolutely. And I think we've had conversations about this in the past where we like, how do you, how do you break away from that expectation that like to do the things that you want to do and keep it and not let the outside kind of infiltrate and keep true to what it is you're doing? Well, I think there's two sides of that. I mean, we live in a real world where unless you have a day job or another source of income or a support, the real, the very real reality of that is if you want to make a life out of your art, you also have to make a living out of your art so it can get really tangled. Um, But there is this, this pressure, I think, to commodify our passions. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about it in Big Magic, I think where she talks about like really keep your day job don't make your passion the means to, to live your life because it is, it can be really problematic. I mean, there have been absolutely periods where I haven't been able to access the core of myself because I'm too busy thinking about marketing or social media engagement, or how do I turn this into a thing that people will buy? Um, and that continual feeling of making something so near and dear to yourself and then holding out your hands and saying like, I made something. Do you want it? Please say you want it. <laughs> I need you to want it. <laughs> Not just for my ego or to bolster myself, but also because it's how I put food on the table. And that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of our passion or our art or our purpose. All the while stretching yourself and like putting something, already putting something out there that's completely vulnerable and something you care about so much and like criticism won't kill you, but it will certainly yes. <laughs> destroy you on some level. <laughs> Leave you curled up in the corner in a little ball. <laughs> yep, exactly. I want to follow a thread that you kind of said earlier, because I think that there is, you, you're, you are definitely more of a veteran mother than I am. You've been, you've gone through like the teenage years you've gone through. And I, and I love the stories that you share of how 
you are mothering in this period of life. You said in the beginning or near the beginning that your stories switched from your children to yours. Mm-hmm. I, I want you to blow up that gem for me because the, that is something that I try to consciously not do because I, I think the digital footprint thing is, a, you know, I, I was born, I, I birthed my children into a digital age. So it's been a little bit more conscious, but like, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I think when I did, people were just beginning to tell these stories online. And, and the one beautiful thing about the time that I started is it really was in the age of, if you build it, they will come. So if you were able to write and craft stories, people were hungry for them um, and, and soaking them up and, and kind of collecting around them. So that's been beautiful for my career and my trajectory. But I didn't really ever consider that these weren't my stories until they got old enough to tell me, hey, when my friends Google my name, they see, and for my kids, it's tons of pictures from my photography career and the stories of their life. And hey, that doesn't feel really great. And so it can be really hard as a mother. And I don't think it would matter what the art or what you were creating around it. I don't think it's just stories because so much of what I live is related to my mothering. Like so many of the stories I would like to tell right now that are pivotal to the life I'm living and the person I'm becoming are related to mothering and they're not just my stories. And so I have to be really careful to figure out a way to to take the theme or the crux of the lesson and wrap it in a different way so that it doesn't um, end up coming back. And I I had no idea that I needed my children's consent to write about them. (laughs) I think that I think you're right that that parents coming up today are probably way more aware of that and we have way more of a sense of how long the footprint lasts and how trackable and traceable it is and how much it can impact everything from jobs to relationships um but I had no idea digital footprint is only part of it right because as mothers like your children are your life. Like, like you may have other lives happening at the same time, but so much. And, and I see mothering as this time where we also are healing ourselves, like so much, so many lessons we're learning and all of that. So it, I think for good reason, mothers want to share stories, but it is this like understanding of the difference in who's who. So can you share an example of like how you would rewrap your, like a lesson? Would you just kind of keep it much broader or would you apply it in a different sense of your life? I think I've done, I've done this in all kinds of ways and not just with motherhood, but like there've been pieces of my story that I really wanted to tell that I wasn't willing to put out in detail. Um, so there are sometimes it gets wrapped in a metaphor or a poem. There are sometimes it gets written more in a third person way. Um, there are times when I write it way after the thing was happening where you just need that space and time to make it a safe place to write about. Um, there are things that are happening right now that I probably won't be able to touch in my writing for years and years. You know, and I think this happens not just with our kids, but with our parents. And uh, I remember um, Lydia Yuknovich who is one of my favorite writers saying that she could not have published her memoir until both of her parents were dead. She could have published a memoir, but not the one she did with that much honesty. Mm. Um, and so I think 
again, I've had years to practice how to weave the things that I need to say, but there are some stories that I can only tell in the pages of my journal, which is frustrating and it feels limiting because I want to crack it all wide open. And they're not all my stories. Can I ask you why you want to crack it wide open? I think because my writing career, like I didn't go to school and get an MFA and like practice the craft and then start writing and sharing. I think because my writing has always involved that sharing and connection and feedback, like the reciprocity loop, it doesn't quite feel real to me unless it goes out into the world. Mm. Like that's the thing that makes my writing feel like it's a complete act, um, which is not necessarily true. I mean, that's a story as well. The writing in my journal is just as real as the writing that lives out in the world, but it doesn't quite feel all the way done. Mm. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I am the same as you. Like I didn't, the, the most official writing education I had was in your course. I wouldn't consider that super <laughs> hardcore official since I don't do rules or. Right. But yeah. I think that that worked perfectly for me. You know, um, I think everyone has, everyone can find the teacher that kind of brings it out of them. Yeah. You shared before that when you first started writing online, people were hungry for stories. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's still the case? I think that human beings will always be hungry for stories. And again, I'm going to stretch the idea of stories like I stretch the idea of art. It's not just the written word or even the spoken word. It's every way we tell a story, which could be dance, which could be painting. Every last little thing. I think we are hungry for stories and we are so connected and so disconnected all at once that we're also hungry for connection. But there is so much more noise. and There's so much more to filter through and sort through. And so I think the challenge now in finding your people Um, and finding your circle is much more difficult than it was when I started. Because if I Googled, so one of the pivotal pieces of my writing career was when I left my marriage and came out and started an anonymous blog chronicling that journey. So that was how I was able to tell that story so honestly. I didn't attach my name to it, which is another way you can do, um, tell stories that you need to tell. And I completely lost my train of thought. So you may need to cut that part. <laughs> Where was I going with that? <laughs> or you can so, leave it in because we're <laughs> real and that's what happens. Right, right, right. Tired mothers and artists and living life. Well, I also, when I, when that happens to me, I'm like, sometimes just there's too many things. There's, right. Things are so interconnected. And you were, you were just talking about like being connected and disconnected and all that. We're mm-hmm. like, there's so many things that are connected that like you could, you could, go about a dozen ways from yes. that one sentence, right? Yeah. Um, oh, now I know where I was going. Yeah. So just leave that whole part in. Hi guys, I'm human. I forget things all the time. It's messy, it's real. Um, so I was Googling my story. I was looking for a story that looked like mine, which was someone who had been married and came out, not because their marriage was a lie or a sham or they'd been hiding, but, but because they had just discovered something new about themselves, someone who loved the person they were with and also needed to explore their life. And I could not find the story anywhere. And so I thought, okay. And I'd already been writing about parenting for this time. And I thought, okay, I can write this story because there's got to be other people out there that need it. And that's one thing I think that has been true for me of this online life. Um, There has never been a time where I've written something that it hasn't hit at least one person. And so I, I continually keep that in mind when it seems like there's crickets or, you know, 
because I'm human too. I still look like, oh, I put so much of my heart into that and nobody liked it. <laughs> I, I believe and I know that there is someone out there that is searching for that exact combination of words. Um, and then you know that that's what I teach in the courses too. There's people out there that are looking for the combination of words or the combination of art or aliveness that you can offer that I couldn't. And so if you put yourself out there, that person who needs it the way you can say it and from your history and your background and your common connections will receive it in the way they couldn't from me. And so, yes, it can be harder to find your people, but I still believe that we will never stop being hungry for stories. Mm -hmm. And there's what, like, there's billions of billions of people out there, mm -hmm. you know, I so resonate with, we, with with you when you say that, you know, when you write it, write something and like one person, there's at least one person that comes back. And I found the same. And it just tells me, you know, we are more like than we are different. Exactly. And we have, uh, it's just, it's so beautiful to be able to connect with people on that level and yeah. to share. It really is. It really is. Can I, um, you, you wrote, I commented on your, one of your, Instagram post last week of your story of coming out. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to kind of share this because I, I try really hard to understand people and to kind of understand where they're coming from. And one of the mysteries that I've never had, I've never wanted to kind of encroach on someone else's territory, but you've put it out there in public. So I am, I am going to ask you um, to share a little bit more is, is the like, how did you not know you were attracted to women? And, and you, you shared that you didn't have a framework for it. Like, could you share a little bit more about that? Because I think that that was so helpful for me. Like when I read that, I immediately messaged you because it, it opened my eyes up mm -hmm. and, and, and that, that story, right, can be applied to so many other things. Right. But I had never thought about it in that context. So I would love if you would to share that experience and that um, kind of what you shared in that post, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. And yeah, I want to touch on what you said. I think coming out is an act, and we usually use it in reference to sexuality, but it's also a metaphor. There's a TED talk. Um, and maybe we can add it to show notes. Um, but the, the speaker basically says, all a closet is, is a difficult conversation. Not all in a minimizing it, but all in an expanding it. Like we all have closets. Um, so I think that that's really important because I think that it does then stand as a metaphor for how we can have these conversations and come out as our authentic self, whatever that means. For me, I grew up in the eighties in small town, Eastern Canada. Now we're talking small town, like. 2,500 to 8,000 people would be like the range of the towns I grew up in. And I'm a preacher's daughter, which came with a whole, you know, a whole package of expectations and um, understandings <laughs> and pressures. Um, and even when I went to college, I think I knew, I knew two kind of flamboyantly gay men, but I did not know or see or have access to women who were with women, like it just was not around. So there was no question to me, like, am I gay or am I straight? Compulsory heterosexuality was just the entire thing. So I can look back now and say, oh, here's this point and here's this point. And oh, that probably meant something. But at the time 
I had no context or understanding. There wasn't a box I could put myself in other than the one that I saw around me, which was just, you went to school. Um, I was smart, so I took science and I graduated and I married the handsome man and I had babies. And that was just a life path. That was what I understood. Even being a stay-at-home mom, that was the only box that was modeled for me. And so that was the one I chose. And I think that so many of us do that. We just follow these life paths because that's what we see around us. And then we hit this point, I think usually in our thirties or forties or maybe fifties, I'm not there yet. So I don't know what pivot points are to come where we go, holy shit, whatever box I put myself in just suddenly got way too small. And I may not know what's out there or like, I may not want to jump boxes. Maybe I want to blow the box to smithereens entirely, but I think you have to, and this is where stories can come in, right? Where you can gain an understanding that there are different ways to live life and different paths to follow and different possibilities for us than what we saw modeled by our parents or our culture or our religion. Um, and for me, once I knew I couldn't unknow it, but I really, really didn't know. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I'll have to find that TED talk included in the show notes because I love what you say that it's that all the closet is, is a difficult conversation mm -hmm. because that's how, that's why stories are so powerful, right? Because you, you listen to something and it can be interpreted as many ways as there are people listening or mm -hmm. reading or watching that story. And when I listened to what you shared, I took it for what it was because that's also important, right? To understand right. that person's Absolutely. story. But then I'm like, it explains so much about people when you say, oh, people are so close-minded or people are so like in their own world or in their own box. It's like, of course they are because there was no understanding of it in another, you know, in, in another, like they couldn't apply it in their life because they hadn't seen it elsewhere. Right. I mean, in the past few years with politics and COVID, we've gotten plenty of examples of what confirmation bias looks like in the real world. We gravitate to what we know and we gravitate to proof of what we believe until something hits us. Um, there's a book called, I think it's called Half-Life by Darren Strauss. And it's a, it's a little memoir and he, I think he was 16 at the time and in an accident that wasn't his fault he hits and kills a girl from his high school and he talks about um irrevocable moments and how life is not built for them like and there's, there's a beautiful quote around that i should hunt these down all at the beginning of the podcast mm -hmm. so i have them at the ready um but that we don't really know how to function with these these moments these make or break points that actually change our life like our life's really a series of moments that usually just kind of fluidly end up. And then when we hit one of those points, it changes everything. We don't always have the tools to deal with it, to understand it, incorporate it. And sometimes the easier thing is to go back into the box we know, and there's no judgment on that. I have done the same thing plenty of times with relationships, with my work. Like if you don't have the capacity, the resources, the support you need to jump out of that box and into like the great wide unknown, of course we stay where we are. And we've got to be gentle with ourselves about that too. Yes, that is so key to, I think, to an artistic life, you know, mm -hmm. like when you're talking about aliveness, it's also that 
gentleness that needs yeah. to also be there because we're not just pushing all the time. Mm-hmm. Just like in labor, right? We can't push all the exactly. time. We have to rest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the learning how to give ourselves grace. I think a lot of us are so good at offering grace to the world and grace and compassion and empathy to everyone around us, especially as mothers. Like we can pour out and pour out and pour out and then forget to bring it back to ourselves. So then we self-flagellate or vilify ourselves or blame ourselves for all that we're not doing or not becoming or not achieving. Um, And I think that that's one of the biggest lessons of life is how do I come back to this space of grace with myself? And I still am not very good at it a whole lot of the time. I have, I've been quoting this to everyone. There is a yoga teacher at my yoga studio and in class a couple of weeks ago, you know, we did one side of our body and then we did the other. And she said, pay attention. Like this side of your body might be different. It might be more flexible. It might be less, it might be tight, it might be sore. And she said, and don't judge it. It's just a consequence of being human. And that line, it's just a consequence of being human lodged in me in a way, a line of words is not in a long time. And I've been pulling from that every time I get into one of those points where I might be judging or being hard on myself or someone else. If I can go, it's just a consequence of being human. There's a whole lot more space to find that grace. Mm. Because it's an undeniable right. statement. Right. Like being human is hard. <laughs> it's beautiful and awe-inspiring and incredible and gorgeous and great. And also, it's, it can be really hard. <laughs> and to stay with your humanity. Mm. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Tell me more. Oh God. Um, okay. This might, this is kind of a sideline. I think that the other thing, learning to have grace is one thing, learning to stay with ourselves. So I used to judge myself a whole lot for how many times I'd wandered, fallen off the path, walked away, abandoned myself, whatever label you want to put on it really hard on myself. And this is actually yoga is a big lesson metaphor wrapped in an exercise program for me. But there was one day when I, and I know there's never a time when I've done yoga in my life. And I'm not like a yogi. I am not really super bendy, flexible. I am not an expert. I can't do the crazy balances. Like I'm your basic, <laughs> I'm basic yoga girl. Um, there's never been a time where I've done yoga where it hasn't been good for me. Never have, I've never regretted. And I can go months at a time without doing it, right? That can be a metaphor for so many of the things. And, and maybe is a great tie in later to talk about how we, seek and find the inspiration in our lives. So I was back on the mat one day and that voice first started coming on to say like, why did it take you so long to get back here? You know how good this is for you. You know how good you feel after all. Like, why, why are you like this self? Um, and then the other voice came in and said, but you always come back to the mat. There's never been a time where you haven't returned. You've never abandoned it forever. And that really switch my viewpoint on the whole wandering returning Mm -hmm. to start paying way more attention and giving way more weight and way more celebration and way more gold stars to the fact that I always come back to the mat, to myself, to my heart, to my art. Like I've never walked away for good. We don't, or we die basically. I mean, and that could be a metaphorical death or a real death, but, um, So yeah, so I've started weighing the return path and putting that up in lights and paying way more attention to that act than the wandering. 
because the wandering is a consequence of being human. What is the return then? Also a consequence of being human. Mm. But I think we have to insist on that. I think that there is yeah. that point. Like we can wander in the desert forever easily, especially in this world that we're living in right now. Um, and so I think that that's maybe the tie-in to the overall theme of your show and how we insist on our return. And we learn the tools. Like I think if we're paying attention, we lay breadcrumbs for ourselves every time. And if you start putting your attention, your consciousness and your intention on those breadcrumbs, when you're leaving them, they get way easier to track your way back. And so for some people that's journaling and for some people that's therapy and it can be some people it's yoga or hiking or meditation or whatever, whatever your path or, or all of the above to leaving breadcrumbs for yourself that help you get your path back. Then it gets easier and it gets faster and it gets gentler, not always. Because again, being human is not always gentle. Um, but yeah, I think that that's been the, le- the lesson in the work of my 40s is, is getting way better at leaving breadcrumbs for myself. I love that. I literally wrote a blog post like yesterday about breadcrumbs and inspiration. And uh, see, we're in sync. This was this, meant to happen. This is, I mean, some of the words, like I feel like I've taken them from you. <laughs> like, I mean, your, your writing has, your writing was one, I think really the first, and I wasn't really into like memoir or not, like, like emotive writing. <laughs> I don't really know how to describe it. Yeah, but, my writing is really feelingsy. Yeah. And, and I really, and I don't know if it was because of your, well, I mean, I know it's because of your course, but I've also kind of been, I call my writing glorified journaling because that's really, that's where my, the bulk of my writing of my entire life has been in a journal. And I've just literally plopped it onto a blog and dressed it up a little bit. But other than that, it's pretty much raw and in there. And now I'm trying to find where I was going with all of this. See, consequence of being human. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of things, but ultimately being human, a human mother is definitely... Absolutely. Leads us to the, to those breadcrumbs. Um, but I think that how you have written has, it'll, I think when you share stories like that, it'll, it gives people permission mm-hmm. to do the same thing. Like when you gave permission for me to not write with any rules, that blew all the, you know, all the English classes, you know, like 12, what, 16 years of some sort of writing component to the edge of my education it like blew it all out of the water and then you're kind of stripped down to nothing and you're just staring at a blank piece of paper virtual or physical and you're thinking well what do I do now I'm a big believer in giving getting rid of the rules um and I think because the rules are another box that we put around writing creativity art aliveness living sexuality like we've been giving all of these boxes to fit ourselves into. Um, My favorite thing anyone on the internet ever called me was a permission catalyst. I adopted that and I love it um, because if there's anything I can do in this lifetime to give people more permission to just step in even an inch more into themselves or into that wildness that we all have inside of us that's been constrained and limited and locked down, then I will have lived a good life. Mm. Love it. 
you wrote a book a couple of years ago. Yes. We, I just want to note to the listener that we did do a podcast two and a half, three years ago. And I had all intention of, of, you know, publishing it. And, and now here we are, but I'm actually, this is actually going to hit the light of virtual podcast land. Um, but it was about two or three years ago when, we, when I spoke to you and you were in the midst of publishing that. Can you share a bit more about like how that book came to be and what what it means to you? Um, so if we do end up if you do end up publishing the video, I have it here so people can see it. It's called "You Are Not Too Much: Heart, Love Notes on Heartache, Redemption, and Reclamation." And I had put publishing a book. So again, I am inviting everyone to use this as a metaphor for whatever the thing is in their life that they thought they couldn't do as this too big thing. Like I would have to be, cause I'm a single mom, right? And to write a book, I would need to lock myself in a cabin in the woods for three months. And the cat wants to be a part of the podcast. She's coming, <laughs> she's here now. Um, and so that felt impossible. How would I fit that into my life? Um, and then as so many things in my life have happened as beautiful accidents, I, I think I made, cause I like, I am very visual. So I like to turn my words into quotes and prints and things. And I made a series of, of quote prints and put them online, like just in internet graphics. And someone in the comments section said, you know, you should compile these into a book. And someone else said, I can help you with that. <laughs> and I went, Oh, I've actually been writing for years and years and I've written thousands and thousands of words. What if I've already written a book? What if it's not as hard as I'm making it to do this thing? Caveat, it was still really hard. <laughs> and it still took way longer than I thought. I still made a ton of mistakes along the way, but it wasn't impossible. And I didn't need to wait till my kids were grown and I didn't need to lock myself in a cabin. I just needed the right people around me to believe that it was possible. And to have the resources to help me do it. And so basically this book is a collection of love notes and quotes and poems all centered around those three themes of heartache, redemption, and reclamation that are all typographically designed to appease my need for beauty, I'm a Libra, um, and compiled into the book. And I think there's so often in life that we think we have to make something entirely new or we have to build something to the ground up or we have to completely dismantle and reinvent ourselves to, to make a thing or do a thing or become a thing. When actually we've been laying those breadcrumbs and building the, you know, collecting the building blocks all along and it just needs to be pulled together. And I say, just, sometimes the just is still a really big job but it becomes way more possible if you surround yourself with people who can see the possibility and who mm. see, when you can see the larger picture because when we're in our lives, or in our creative space, or in this relentless seeking for inspiration and joy, um, we don't always see the bigger picture. We're like on the ground, zeroed in on this one thing in front of us and not realizing um, the legacy or the wisdom or the collection or body of work we've already created. I mean, yes. <laughs> like <laughs> if I could have like big bold letters in front of me, like Y-E-S exclamation points, yes. When you said, you know, what if you had already written a book it was like, what if you're already an artist? What if you're already a writer with a capital W? What if you have, what if you're already living that life mm -hmm. and you've actually just been fighting it because right. it doesn't fit in the box? Right. 
or at the very least, maybe you're not living the life, but you have been collecting those building blocks of inspiration and ideas and resources and um, humans who have the tools that you need to do it. Chances are your listeners are seekers of some kind. And so chances are, if you're a seeker, you've been collecting your building blocks and dropping your breadcrumbs all along without noticing it. I don't know any seekers who haven't been, and I don't know people who aren't seekers who don't seek out things like this. So I'm just making a wild assumption that most of your listeners are seekers of some kind. They're yearning their way forward into something. They want more or different or better or another way, which is my favorite kind of human. Mm -hmm. and a little side note for you, there is a program co- coming up called Body of Work that will be for people who want to collect and curate and create from what they've already done. So Ooh. side note, stay tuned. I think that this is a wonderful place to wrap it up. I literally feel like I'm, you're like in my head when you're saying these things. And I'm like, I literally am thinking this. And I feel like you know, if I'm lucky enough, I would be in your head once in a while as you are channeling the muse and whatnot. Um, One thing I am ending my interviews with is a question. Okay. And this is very much inspired by your, like just all the work that you've, uh, you've done and that I've gone through with your course, your courses, by the way, I've never gone through all of your courses. Um, I think I've gotten through like day 10 of 30 and it's all to say that it's the consequence of being human, but also we don't have to finish the thing to get the thing. Like there is, that is the, there are no rules. Do what you need to do. You can shut this podcast off right now and you still have gotten what you needed to have gotten from it. Exactly. So yeah, I want to, I want to, I'm going to riff on that for just a second, if I may. I tell people over and over, people come into my courses and programs and then they say, I'm behind and I'm not doing it right. And I feel bad and I've missed a day. And what I tell them is there is no such thing. Number one, logistically, if you, if you've signed up, you have the stuff and you can go back to it whenever you want, but writing doesn't just happen on the page. Processing doesn't just happen fingers to keyboard or pen to paper. If you read it, if you surround yourself with people who are doing that work, if you're, if you're putting yourself in the path of inspiration and aliveness, the work is happening inside of you, whether or not it ever makes it onto a page or onto the screen or into the world. Like you are writing, we got, we've got to blow the definition of writing and art making and an inspiration creating wide open. We have to. I need to pull out this quote of if you put yourself in the path of inspiration because it truly is as simple as that just kind of getting out of your own way and just saying hey I'm open and and feel free to come visit me at the same time I'll also try to find you I will hunt you down if you don't come (laughs) yes yes the relationship with the muse has got to be two-way street (laughs) it's none of those um I forget the like what you call like the one-sided relationship it's a mutually beneficial it is symbiotic symbiotic <laughs> so there's that science background right there <laughs> so as i was saying before i have been ending the interviews with a question and the question is 
Can you share with me something you know to be true? One of your deep truths. And you know that well, this is what I know to be true right now is one of my main prompts that I offer people. What do I know to be true right now? This is, oh, so I have some writing bubbling up that hasn't made it into the world, but it's kind of the theme that's really living in me. Some of the biggest walls we place inside of ourselves, the biggest protective mechanisms are actually not against, not to guard us against the negativity and the hardship and the sadness. They're actually to guard us against happiness and joy. Because life has taught us that leaning too far into that can get us hurt. And leaning too far into hope and goodness can get us like flattened and obliterated. So we protect ourselves when we see goodness coming or magic coming. Like, is this safe? Can I trust in this thing? Maybe not. Maybe I'll just keep myself over here in this, in this quiet little space that I know instead of leaning all the way into this excitement or this joy or this aliveness. Um, I am realizing this right now because I've been in the process of falling in love. <laughs> so that's a whole nother story. Um, but it's, it's, made for some potent writing space um, and realizing in me, even with this commitment to seeking inspiration and seeking aliveness and seeking and making art, I still have all of these protective walls up that were holding me back from like the fullest expression of all of that. And so like the, the motivation for me thinking about this was this love, this romantic love space. But then I realized how many other places in my life that I've placed boxes around my pleasure or what I can do with my art or how happy I am allowed to be before it becomes unsafe to be that happy. And I think if we've got a background of trauma or grief, we, have, we, we all carry that suspicion of the good stuff. Um, so now I think my next work, what I know to be true is that my work right now is to start bringing down some of those walls. Mm. And like to let myself be vulnerable in those spaces where good things are possible. I think you just blew a bunch of people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, and again, it goes back to grace, like not blaming myself for having protective walls against happiness, like actually owning like, okay, that's really real. Before when I've let myself be really, really happy, I've gotten really hurt or I've lost things that mattered. And so I've kept myself safe over here, but that's also kept me from this full realization of what is possible as a human. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> hey, I hear you. I, you know, hitting publish on, on this podcast has been, I was literally feeling this, this last night where it was done. The, I mean, it was the opposite, but at the same time, I totally think it's what you're saying too. It's like almost like, both things like the fear of loss, but then also the fear of like, this is, I know this is really good, yeah. but yikes. <laughs> right. The fear, the fear of bigness, the fear of stepping into mm. yourself, this thing that I want to do, this the fear person of being... that like deep down, I feel like I can become. And if I do this thing, if I make this podcast, if I step out in this way, if I claim my voice, then I've got to show up for the rest. Yeah. Ooh, it's big. Yeah. I feel like it's like, I mean, your book, like you're not too much, like it's a fear of being too much. We've been conditioned in our culture to believe. And I mean, I try to catch myself from even saying those words to my children. Cause I'm like, oh, this is not, no, <laughs> because I know the consequences of that. Like this is, and it's not, it's just that I, as an adult have been conditioned to only like to, to, to have limits to how much I can take. 
of someone's presence. And with children, they're, I mean, you know, they'll, they'll take over your whole life, <laughs> literally and figuratively. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, thank you for sharing that because that, I think, it turns it upside down, but like in, in all the good ways. Yeah. How are you limiting your joy? How are you limiting your inspiration? And not in a way that brings judgment to you for doing it. Like in a way that you go, okay, consequence of my being human and my lived experience is that's scary. Bigness, good bigness is <laughs> terrifying. And how can I start maybe not tearing down the walls, but how can I start like just pulling a thread at a time and unraveling whatever is holding me back from that? Love it. That's what I'm working on. So if you want to join me, come on. Yes. Yeah, so that leads me to the next question, which may be the final question. Where can folks find you? Um, my website is just my name, JeanetteLeBlanc.com. And social media wise, I'm on all the places, but mostly you'll find me on Instagram. So just Jeanette LeBlanc there as well. And I would love to get to know some of your listeners. Amazing. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for changing my life and for inspiring me all the time with everything that you're doing. And I just wish you all the best as you're embarking on everything else that you're doing. Thank you so much. So honored. It has been such a great conversation. I'm so happy to have been here. Thank you for tuning in today. A great big thank you to Medfield TV for their support and editing this episode. Living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations. And if any part of this episode made you think of a friend, let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs. Or find me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. See you next time.